Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to Be Curious. And this year, we are taking an entire year to explore the theme of conscious, authentic living. And if you've started following us earlier this month, we are tracking the book or drawing from the book called The Yamas and Niyamas, Exploring Yogi's Ethical Practice for our explorations this year. And in the last episode, I introduced the fact that these yamas and niyamas, these practices and considerations, are that there's 10 of them, and that we're gonna be looking at each of them over the course of the year as an opportunity for really self-examination, self-exploration, and as I love to say, getting courageously curious about ourselves. So the first principle that I we're gonna explore is ahimsa which is nonviolence. And this book, The Yamas and Niyamas by Deborah Adele, this chapter begins with a quote that says, Storms rage about me. I calm my heart and send out ribbons of peace. And this quote that she begins with presents what I think is a really powerful imagery, that storms are raging, things are happening externally all around us, and in, if we're truly adhering, if we're pursuing this state of nonviolence, the way it's truly meant in ahimsa, then it means that regardless of what's going on, that we can find, reach for, attain a state of peace internally, that our internal state is not dependent upon what's going on externally. It's cultivated from the inside out. And so we're going to keep this as kind of the core concept of ahimsa as we talk about it today and as we talk about it actually for the next few weeks. So I wanted to just read again the opening that she has to this chapter because I think it sets the stage really well for what do we actually mean by nonviolence because it's easy for us to consider don't hit, don't get in fights, you know, don't beat anybody, don't kill anybody, don't you know, do those kinds of physical things or maybe don't bully people. And certainly those are all parts of nonviolence. I think they're the parts of nonviolence that come to mind more easily, although we don't always adhere to them and we might bully people inadvertently or um, sometimes, or we see physical violent things happening around us. The concept of ahimsa takes us much deeper than that. And that's really the angles that I want to pursue as we go into exploring this. So in the opening to the book, she says, in the movie The Karate Kid, so Deborah Dell's about my age, clearly, or a little bit older, and we still remember The Karate Kid, I think, from the 80s, Mr. Miyagi first appears to be a silly, rather harmless little, little old man to a 17-year-old Daniel. Mr. Miyagi is humble and unpretentious and sits around for hours trying to catch flies with chopsticks, tend to his bonsai trees, and doesn't even seem to bat an eye when provoked. But as the movie progresses and bullies begin to threaten both Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi springs into defensive action. Daniel's eyes are open to the incredible ability of this old man who skillfully takes on a team of karate opponents larger and younger than he is. From that point on, Mr. Miyagi becomes Daniel's mentor in the art of skillful defense, true friendship, and the art of living. What does this have to do with nonviolence? She continues, nonviolence might appear to us like Mr. Miyagi first appeared to, to Daniel. It can look so passive and unimportant that we can easily, easily ignore its presence and the subtleties of its power, wondering what the fuss is all about. 
And yet, in Eastern thought, nonviolence is so valued that it stands at the very core and foundation of all yoga philosophy and practice. It is as if the yogis are saying that if we don't ground our lives and actions in the principle of nonviolence, everything else we attempt to do will be precarious. All of our achievements, successes, hopes, joys, I would even say relationships, stand on faulty ground if they do not stand on the foundation built by nonviolence. And so what is actually meant by this kind of nonviolence? I love where Deborah Adele goes with this. She takes it, us in such deep places. The first one that I want to explore today really has to do with this concept of the relationship between nonviolence and our own internal, our own internal fears, as well as the state of our internally cultivated courage. So, what do I mean by that? Fear comes in two varieties. Fear comes in the variety of things that are literally tied to our survival. Like you should probably not stick your hand into the fire because it's going to get burned. Or you shouldn't drive your car off of the edge of the cliff. You should be afraid of the edge of the cliff because if you go over it, you're going to die. You should be afraid of uh, you know, your kid running out into the middle of the street where there's traffic. So there's this fear that is tied to things that are truly injury-producing, life-threatening, and really tied to our survival. The way the human mind was designed, though, and if you've been following me for a while, you've heard me mention similar things, is that there's this other kind of fear. And it's fear that shows up when things look or feel unfamiliar to us, when there's uncertainty or a sense of not knowing something, things that make us uncomfortable. And most of these are not life-threatening things like trying out a new doctor, you know, or going to a new restaurant or driving in a new location that you're not familiar with or trying a food you've never tried before, things like that. But yet what's interesting is that we can have the same kind of fear-based response to these things that are unfamiliar, uncertain, make us a little uncomfortable as we do to our kids running out into traffic. We can put up barriers, we can put up walls, we can become defiant, we can become obstinate, we can dig our heels in the mud, we can say no, we can resist. We can have responses to these things that have a magnitude perhaps significantly greater than the threat that's actually involved with the thing in front of us. And so we end up confusing the two. We end up confusing the two and saying, well, no, going to a new doctor than the one I've known before is just too scary and I'm not doing it and it doesn't matter what all the reasons are. It doesn't matter that this person might be able to serve me better or serve the particular thing that I have. It's too scary and I'm not doing it. What's the relationship between all of this and nonviolence <laughs> is that nonviolence is not just about not hurting things. But nonviolence has to do with the way that we show up to ourselves and the way that we show up to other people. So when we dig our heels in, when we resist, when we become judgmental, when we become dismissive about things because they feel scary, these are elements of violence. Sometimes they're violence to ourselves, that we withhold things from ourselves or we beat ourselves up 
for something. I beat myself up because I'm not trying something. I'm beating myself up because I did try something that was, you know, and it didn't produce the result I expected. Or I judge somebody else for having a different opinion. I dismiss someone's opinion. So all of these things have an element of non of violence towards ourselves, toward others. And I think the purpose of bringing up this principle of nonviolence is what are the ramifications of going in those directions? What are the ramifications of resistance, of defiance, of, you know, aggressively disagreeing, of being judgmental about things is that we hurt people. We hurt people and we hurt ourselves. And in a true state of nonviolence, our thoughts and our actions and the, st act the steps that we take come from a place of peace and they are intended to move us toward peace and stem from peace. And so it gives us like a really high bar to work from that what is the nature of our thoughts? What is the nature of our behavior? Are we acting from fear, which is likely taking us into thoughts and actions that have a thread of violence attached to them? Not in the traditional way, but in this way we're discussing. You know, or are they coming from a place of peace? And how do we cultivate and how do we get to that place of peace? And of course, I love this because what Deborah Adele offers is that the counter or the opposite of this fear is having courage. Or courage, I will say, actually is the antidote to becoming paralyzed by this fear or allowing the fear to take over us. <clears throat> what is courage? So courage is about having the ability to be afraid or the capacity to be afraid, but then not being paralyzed by it, not being stuck, not turning to aggression because of it, but actually going forward anyway. So recognizing that there's something uncertain, unfamiliar, uncomfortable, unknown, and being willing to say, I'm going toward it anyway. What does that actually do is... It expands our capacity for appreciating experiences, for ideas. It also expands our capacity to trust ourselves in the face of something that seems scary. And when it really comes down to it, the violence that we afflict on ourselves and the violence that we inflict on others because things feel scary to us or unfamiliar to us all comes from a lack of trust in our capacity to be in that situation and to maneuver through it with grace and ease. And so one of the things that I recommend doing and I like to do with the clients that I work with, people become very attuned to one of my phrases that we're going to become very comfortable in the uncomfortable, is to actually do that. Just like going to the gym and doing squats or doing bicep curls or all those kinds of things is actually cultivating the capacity for being in places and spaces that are unfamiliar, places and spaces that are uncomfortable, that present an unknown or a degree of uncertainty. Because just like our muscles get stronger in the physical sense, our emotional struggle, our emotional muscles for navigating those situations get stronger too. So I want to offer some of the little things that I do to actually build this capacity because we don't always have to do the biggest thing first. We don't have to go toward the scariest thing first. We can go toward little things. So one of my practices I have is actually every time I go for a pedicure, 
I pick out a different toenail color. I care a little less about my toenail color than I do about my fingernail color. And what happens is fascinating every single time. It's virtually every single time I go, I've gotten really comfortable with the color that I have. And I find myself wanting to go back for that again and thinking, wow, I really like that color. It'd be great. Why don't I just be comfortable? And I then say, no, this is your practice. And I pick another color. And as soon as I pick the color and they do all the things and they start putting the color on my toenails, my initial response is always to feel like, oh, I don't think I like that as much. Did I make a wrong choice? Like I start to beat up on myself. I start to practice that sense of violence towards myself. And, you know, again, those subtle ways, but they're meaningful. And then I remind myself, remember what happens. You always have this reaction in the beginning, and by the end of the two weeks, you're usually so attached to that color that you don't want to switch to another one. And it allows me to return to a place of peace, knowing that this is not a big deal. This is not a decision that is going to harm me or hurt me or in any way significantly impact my life. And I can be in the space of the discomfort of the newness of this color and be totally fine. So that's something about every three weeks that I choose to do. Another place that this comes up for me is it comes up when we're practicing yoga practices. Two of them that come up for me is when you know we're doing something like a warrior two and knees are bent, we're holding it for a long time. And inevitably at some point, Something in my quadricep will start to tighten up and I'll start to feel the pain and discomfort of holding the pose for a long time. And as is the practice in yoga and as the practice of training for this inner peace is to breathe through it, right? To really be in control of the breath, to bring attention and awareness to the breath that takes the attention and awareness away from whatever the discomfort is that I'm feeling. And I virtually can always breathe through the experience to be able to hold it until it's time to move. It also comes up with some of the back bends. And if I'm not yet fully limbered up, I go up into a back bend and my lower back feels tight and uncomfortable and I want to just come out of it quickly. And I go to my practice of breathing into the discomfort and staying there a little bit longer. And can I stay there until the pose is fully complete? A third place I practice this is around hunger, you know? None of us in, in the space of people who are probably listening to this podcast really have to struggle or deal with not having enough food, but yet we respond to pangs of hunger with an, you know, oftentimes with an immediacy. I know that I do. And so one of my practices of being in, expanding my capacity to be in the discomfort is to, can I let the hunger linger longer? Can I perhaps drink more in that space water rather than feeding it with food? You know, how long can I do that? And then can I pay attention to what happens and actually often noticing that within 20 minutes or a half hour or if my attention is diverted, that I'm no longer experiencing the feeling of hunger anymore and I'm onto something else. And I've kind of breathed through it and I'm back to a place of peace. The fourth one I pick, because I practice here a lot and I feel like it's probably one to share as many times as I possibly can, but is around driving. You know, and this morning I was actually driving to my office and was behind it was raining and behind a truck and a car that were driving very slowly. And we were only like a mile and a half from the exit. And I felt the inclination to like, oh, let me get past these people. Let me go around. And then I sat there and I said, you know, it's raining. It's not the safest thing to do, although probably not really dangerous. But I said, what would the experience be of just slowing down, knowing that for a mile and a half, the you know 10 miles less an hour that I was going was not going to change the outcome of my drive at all. So my impulse was to be able to speed forward and get someplace faster, 
But the reality was it wasn't going to really take me any place significantly faster. And could I be in the space of going slower and being at peace in that? So this is the first exploration and the practice that I want to put forward as we're exploring this is to notice the places where we feel uncomfortable, where there's something uncertain, where we're up against something unfamiliar, where we're up against this fear that's not truly life-threatening fear, but it's fear that is you know, of our imagination, conjured from our mind, but that triggers us to respond as though there is something life-threatening going on. And can we cultivate practices? Can we do things to expand our capacity to sit and be in discomfort and trust that we will be okay? Because the more that we learn to trust that we can be in the uncomfortable and be okay, that's where that capacity to have the storm rage around us and to find ourselves at peace comes from. So that's my invitation for the week. And thank you for joining us. If you want to have comments, this is posted on our Facebook page, Encourage to be Curious. We would love to have more people joining this journey of exploration and conscious um, the conscious authentic life um, this year. So please pass on word of the podcast and you know, get out your journal and really take seriously following this uh, journey with us this year and see where it takes you. Thanks for joining us and be back again next week.